what people are really telling me when they say I hate marketing is I hate this economic system that forces me to be an evangelist for my own like cult of personality. I, I hate capitalism. Here we are in 2022 and gone are those halcyon days where a friend would discreetly hand you an understated business card with a name, some credentials and a phone number on it. You would call that number to make an appointment sight unseen and that was how you found a therapist. No, capitalism has gotten a makeover and dragged all of us along with it via social media, user-generated content, and the imperative of the personal brand. So here in the early 21st century, most therapists have resigned ourselves to the fact that we need to do at least some kind of marketing beyond printing out a thousand business cards and sticking them to the grocery store bulletin board with tax. And with that realization often comes a lot of uncertainty, discomfort, unease. How do we market ethically? What does it actually mean to be authentic in our marketing? Is there a way out of feeling icky about that sense of selling ourselves? I'm Reva Stout, and you're listening to A Therapist Can't Say That. If you've been a listener for a while, you know that I don't peddle easy answers here. And if you're a newcomer, consider yourself warned. Our discomfort about marketing in and of itself makes us easy marks for people selling certainty, selling relief from our anxiety about marketing. So we can end up falling into cookie cutter strategies. I'm sure you've heard them by now, you know, establish a narrow and easy to articulate niche, create a highly specific ideal client profile and target your marketing only to that 27-year-old non-binary circus performer going through a divorce whose picture you have in your mind, etc. And it's not that all of that standard marketing advice is bad. It helped me grow a thriving practice. But there is something deeper that is important about how and why we struggle with this process and how we contend with that struggle. Today, I'm talking to Rachel K. Albers, creative director and brand strategist at RKA Inc. I wanted to talk to Rachel specifically because she puts the experience of marketing here in social media in 2022 into a much needed historical and sociological context that gives voice to the way this marketing stuff grinds up against our values and senses of ourselves. She's also really fucking funny in a way that the words historical and sociological context do not capture. So don't be misled into thinking this conversation will be dry. You're going to hear us talk about why no one can give you these six foolproof steps to ethical marketing, how to bring your authenticity and creativity into the process of building your marketing in a way that goes beyond the superficial, why marketing can be so emotional, how you can think about your niche differently than you've been told so far, and a lot more. If this is an issue you've struggled with or if you've mostly avoided your marketing altogether because it makes you so uncomfortable, I think you're going to get a lot out of this episode, both in terms of understanding your own process and giving you some fresh ways of thinking about marketing that help you change your relationship to it. Thank you so much, Rachel, for being on. I'm like super excited to have this conversation. Yeah, me too. Thank you for having me. Best day of my life. 
You're a therapist. You know I'm lying. I mean, who knows what that means? But I try every day for that to be true. <laughs> Might as well, right? Um, <laughs> so you have the honor of being uh, the first guest I've had on the show who's not a therapist. So that's um, an exciting change for me as well. So tell my listeners like a little bit about what you do and what your thing is. My thing. Am I supposed to talk about my trauma here or that's not what this is? I'm kidding. I'm, I'm, that's just a therapist joke because I'm not a therapist. Um, <laughs> but, well, I am a brand strategist and a creative director and I'm a marketing muckraker. So I'm kind of walking the tension both with my clients as well as I host a podcast and I'm a writer um, between, okay, what can branding and marketing do for us, but also what is branding and marketing doing to us and doing to our collective sense of identity and our cultural fabric as well as um, to us as individuals, right? And on an individual level. So I'm, I'm, I'm navigating both of those questions at the very same time. And I work with businesses that burn the rule book, right? So that's probably why we're talking. Yes. Because yes. a, a therapist can't say that. You fit the bill to a T. Totally. <laughs> yeah. I love that you do, you know, both both of those sides. Um, and I think that's why I wanted so much to talk to you is because, um, you know, in the field of therapy, uh, I think, you know, um, that we're going through a shift right now when it comes to marketing. Um, like I would say, even 20 years ago, certainly 30 years ago, the idea of like marketing a ther therapy practice was very anathema, you know, and there was not, I think it would have been seen as very like gauche and, you know, you shouldn't need to do that. And kind of if you build it, they will come and you don't need to, you know, put yourself out there. And if you're doing that, it's, you know, it's inauthentic and it's compromising some of the, you know, integrity of the work and so forth. Um, and then of course, like with the advent of the internet and the like, you know, pretty much absolute need to have some sort of web presence if you're going to get, um, you know, build a caseload um, if you're in a private practice. Uh, you know, obviously there's been a shift towards, uh, you know, necessity to do some kind of marketing. And I think we're at like a weird place where, um, some people see it as like a necessary evil and it's kind of like, oh, I have to build my website and I have to write my website and uh, it feels gross and bad no matter what I do. And then for some people, you know, there's there's a certain subset of therapists who've gotten like very into it and are like, yes, branding and niches and marketing and all the things, you know. And so um, but I think in general, there's still like a lot of on both sides of that, there's a lot of naivete about what what we're actually doing here, especially now with like the explosion of social media and, you know, branding one's entire existence and life. Um, and so I'm curious, you know, from your perspective, um, what you think about like some of the pitfalls can be for people who are going into this um, process of marketing their practice um, and marketing themselves um, in without a lot of that information without a lot of experience or understanding of like just the the landscape of this stuff. Well, yeah, I, and I've worked with quite a few therapists in my business, well, <laughs> in my life and in my business, right? <laughs> Different goals, well, you know, first clients versus I'm the client, right? Um, but it's helpful to have both sides of the story, right? Like, so 
I've worked with a lot of therapists and most of the therapists that I have worked with as a client, like they're looking for branding and marketing support. They come in and they kind of say to me, they're like, I'm not supposed to be doing this. Right. The old way, the traditional way, my, my colleagues that have been around for decades and decades, they look down on me. They say that we shouldn't be, but it is the internet age, right? And so they're kind of like whispering to me. They're like, I got to market. How can I do it? Um, and what they often have come up against or they come to me after, you know, they enter the marketing world. They haven't gotten their sea legs yet and they get kind of snatched up by the templated one size fits all like here, I'm going to show you the way. And maybe they hire a marketing company that comes in and essentially creates like a sea of weird, generic, you know, Facebook posts for them. And so they've been burned a little bit. And so I think one of the pitfalls that comes is you start to walk into the marketing world. And honestly, this is any industry. Therapy is one, but like anytime you're new to business, you enter, you walk through the doors of online marketing today and there's a bunch of you know, people waving their flags and saying, hear ye, hear ye, I've got the answers. And I think that that is, you know, in my show, Marketing Muckraking, I, I, my, one of my taglines is, if you're sick of business podcasts that have all the answers, I have nothing but questions. But I really think that that is the barometer for knowing if you're in the right place in terms of getting support for marketing, in terms of getting guidance is you got to be looking for people that have more questions than answers, both in terms of, both for you, like I'm talking to you, the therapist out there who's wanting to get started in marketing. You need to be working with people and looking for guidance from people who have questions for you. Because basically what I'm getting to is there isn't a one size fits all. And that's, of course, like the big womp, womp, womp moment whether we're just talking about therapy marketing, whether we're talking about ethical marketing, the the hot, sexy thing right now is to say, okay, you don't want to be unethical in your marketing. Here, come my way. I'll give you the 10 steps. Do this, not that. If only it were that easy, right? Mm -hmm. So I think you want to be looking for support and you want to be finding a plan for you that is truly tailored to your business, your audience, how you're currently bringing people in, how exactly you're serving people. And that's even if I were talking to, you know, all therapists at once, I can't talk to all therapists at once and give them the five steps for your marketing tomorrow. Here's what you need to do first. So I think that is probably the biggest, most common pitfall. And if it feels too good to be true, it probably is. It, cliche and yet very true. Right. I like that you're bringing in the the uncertainty piece, you know, um, right off the bat, because I think, you know, my experience with people who self-select into this field is it tends to be a lot of rule followers and people who are very anxious about following steps and following rules. And I'm really very much not like that. So it's a it's an interesting kind of insider outsider view, I think, that I often have of um, people who get really anxious about doing things the right way. And so I, I like what you said about like, oh, you know, this idea that like, oh, if I'm going to market ethically, what are the steps that I follow? Like, what is the code for like ethical marketing? And that that really isn't, um, there's not a, but a list of, you know, boxes you can check and be like, okay, it's ethical and good. And now I'm, I'm doing the right thing and, and all of that. Right. Right. And I mean, isn't that the true, isn't that the case? 
I'm assuming that we kind of have similar clients, right? Me as a creative director and brand strategist, you as a therapist in the sense that people often come through the doors and they may have some expectations around, okay, what are the three things I need to do to heal my trauma? Can you just give me, just break it down? How, how long is this going to take? 90 days? Uh, I'd love to, for you to give me an ROI. Like what's the ROI, right? Right. And as much as we may think we don't have those expectations coming through the door, we, we've kind of been trained to have them, right? It's not just about going into therapy or going into a marketing practice. Our culture has very much trained us to believe in microwave solutions. Like I've got a problem, let me pop it in the oven, pop a solution right out. And even as much as we kind of say, we're coming into it saying, oh no, I know that's not the way this is gonna work. Deep down, we kind of want it to be that way. It's like the lottery mentality of I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna strike it rich. Like I know that's not typically the rule, but maybe I'll be the exact, like maybe I'll be the one who can just go in and just say, can you just give me the, 10 steps to healing and we can just call it a day, you know? Totally. Right. Like, I mean, I think what you're speaking to is in part, there's the wish fulfillment aspect of it, but in part, we're also being entrained to think that way with what we encounter, I think, especially with content marketing, you know, because um, I have noticed, you know, over the past few years with the prevalence of like um, mental health tips and stuff like that on social media, um, that, that the, there has been an increase, especially like in you know, I would say younger millennials and Gen Z, there's been an increase in people coming in with an expectation of there being more of like this roadmap or checklist um, in terms of mental health, because it's it, that's what we're being exposed to constantly, because that's what fits on an Instagram square, you know, on a and that's where the algorithm rewards too. absolutely right, right. Yeah, it's not like that more nuanced, complex stuff isn't out there, but it's definitely like buried in the feed. It's not the it's not what's rising to the top. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so what do you think in terms of like some of the like marketing cliches or, you know, sort of like the, the drums that get banged all the time in the marketing world that, um, that people are most likely to encounter, right. When they're stepping into this, um, this moment of, of getting involved in marketing their practice, what are some of the things that you think, um, people are the most likely to encounter and, and maybe some of the problems with that? Well, you bring up the the kind of gold rush to social media that we're seeing with a lot of, you know, people who do decide to get into marketing for therapy often look at these big, fancy, like, influencer therapy accounts or, like, influencer coaching accounts. And so I think one myth or one kind of shiny object, and this goes for across industries, is the idea that we all need to be, like, that social media... And like building your list and all of that, especially for the therapy profession, is the holy grail. And almost like in the digital marketing world, we are kind of being trained to, to devalue word of mouth, right? Like I can't tell you how many, I work with a lot of service-based business owners and therapists and coaches and writers and, you know, and consultants and things like that. And they will come in and they'll kind of say with shame, they'll be like, well, uh, you know, one of my first questions is where are your clients currently coming from? How are people finding you? And they'll be like, well, it's mostly word of mouth. And they'll say it in this like derogatory way. As if that's a bad thing. Right. Because they're like embarrassed that they're not having this flood of like people, you know, converting from Instagram, for example, which honestly in across industries, 
that's not the majority. That's not where sales come from. Like the the very best uh, clients to be coming to your door are going to be coming from word of mouth, are going to be coming from referral. And your marketing, marketing can supplement and support that. But I think one misnomer is that we shouldn't be trying to build up relationships that it's all about like how can I drive as many Instagram followers as possible into therapy with me that's actually typically not how sales are made on the internet anyway so it's like take pride in your word of mouth take pride in your referrals and how can you make those referrals work better for you using your marketing is I think the, the the bigger question. You know, a, a brand ultimately at the end of the day is what people are saying about you behind your back or it's a memory, it's a, it's, it is what we come to remember and expect about a business or about a person, right? So it's like, how do we make sure that people are talking about you behind your back, right? Like, you know, putting your name in other people's mouths, putting your name in colleagues' mouths. And yeah, there is an element of that that can come from social media and new audiences of people who may not have ever experienced your therapy, um, but are understand the, your areas of expertise, understand your energy, your, you know, the clients that you work best with. And so they're talking about you. So I think that is the question. How do we put your name in people's mouths so that the word is getting totally. out? Totally. Well, right? and I think it, that is interesting because to me that raises some of what you were talking about earlier where people kind of find a cookie cutter idea of how to do that where it's like somebody's like, oh, I guess I should start a blog. And then you can tell the person who like was told that they should start a blog because their blog is like super boring, you know, or they're like they were told that they should start a podcast, which I'm is unimaginable to me because it's so much work. If like you don't if you don't really want to do a podcast, like please do not do a podcast. Like, but you can tell sometimes people were they they're doing it solely because, you know, it's like, well, I guess I this is a way to get my uh my name out there and whatever. Um and so I think yeah, it's challenging then for people sometimes to think of like how do I put myself out there in an authentic way that isn't just like hitting this list of like, get a bunch of social media followers, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And, you know, I was thinking about this before we, before we started the show and this question of how do you market in an ethical way and kind of to piggyback on what I was saying before, one thing to keep in mind is, all right, in my opinion, all right, you know, this shows things that a therapist can't say. Well, I'm going to say things that a marketing strategist and a brand strategist can't say, which is that, you know, from my purview, uh, capitalism itself is a flawed system at the very least in practice, right? Like maybe theoretically we could make an argument about why um, why, you know, it, it's it, on paper, it theoretically could be applied in ethical ways, but capitalism as we know it, and it has, has it evolved over the last several hundred years is inherently unethical, right? That's my pers perspective. And marketing is the fuel of capitalism. And so one of my first thoughts about this would be when you are doing marketing, pretty much all of the traditional methods that have been developed over time have been predicated and are most effective when they do utilize a layer of manipulation, right? And so 
marketing in my experience and when I'm working especially with mission driven values driven clients it's really about kind of making compromises um because in an ideal world you wouldn't have to go out you know before brands were really born as we know them today all business was done by word of mouth it was based on reputation and experience and then with the industrial revolution and mass production came a need to how do we get word of mouth out to hundreds of thousands of people, millions of people at a time? How do we do that without individual salespeople or relying on the, the general store or relying on the, the years it takes for a business's name to get spread throughout a community? Well, we accelerate that using marketing and using advertising campaigns, right? And so that process of needing to do that is inherently inorganic. Do you know what I'm saying? We're, we're, we're creating an artificial acceleration of reputation. Um, and so, so that in and of itself is kind of goes against our human nature, right? And it's, it's almost, it's, we're artificially accelerating the human relationship using marketing tools. So then it's about kind of, then it is about making compromises within that. And, and, and when I'm working with somebody, I'm kind of determining on an individual basis, okay, based on you, based on your audience, based on your resources, your strengths, your talents, your interests, all of the things, how do we figure out what is going to be the right combination of things for you and for your audience? And where do we set our expectations, right? In terms of, knowing all of those those factors that we just talked about here's the strategy that's going to work for you and here's where you should be expecting that you're going to see results and what the timeline is it's never overnight it's never going to be in you know i start a blog and in three months i've got a a full book you know of clients right but the way that i like to kind of reframe marketing for my clients and especially thinking of people like in the therapy profession is all right if we take this idea that a brand is ultimately a memory, right? It is what it is a combination of experiences we've had and expectations that we have and you know what we have ourselves done with a business or heard about a business or seen or what you know, then the brand essentially lives in your audience's minds. This is why branding messes with people's heads because they are like, "Okay, I'm branding." And it's like they think of their logo and their copy and at the at the the most painful truth is your brand isn't what you say it is it's what your audience feels and thinks and remembers it to be mm -hmm. so then the way that we can kind of try to come around to a more ethical or aligned or values driven or just less icky a way of approach a way of approaching marketing is essentially to think of marketing as making memories with your customer and with your audience, right? How do I, and when we're approaching branding, then the question becomes less like, what colors do you like? Like, what's your favorite, you know? And it's like, how do you want people to feel? How do you want them to remember you? And so when I think about like somebody kind of embarking on the journey of looking for a therapist, and like so many people, I mean, God, I was looking for a therapist a couple of years ago. I'm like, and I've had so many therapists, but I don't know. What am I supposed to do? Either I go to my friends or I go to like psychology today, right? And then I go and I, or I Google, right? Therapies, therapist near me, you know, or therapist plus 
you know, symptom, you know, like whatever I, I like depression or whatever it is, you know, where does the marketing come into this is as I'm kind of parsing through all of the options that are out there, I'm either Googling it or I'm talking to my friends. It's I'm looking for the person that makes me feel seen. Yeah. Right. And then after I've gone and done all of this research, it's like, who do I remember? Who really stuck out for me? The marketing, the, the, if you're going to have a blog, the goal should be to help people make the decision that gives them the most agency and the most information up front, right? And so that when I end, when I do book that initial consult or I do like take the risk of like, I'm going to fill in a contact form and like that's always like a vulnerable, it's vulnerable to reach out to a therapist for the first time. How do you set the scene in such a way that I want to make memories with you, right? Or that I want to embark upon a relationship with you. How do you, you know, lay out the groundwork and give me all the information I need? Because like you said, there are so many therapists that like basically what they have is a boilerplate website. I'm fill in the blank. I treat people, I you know, I treat teens and adults who have, and then often there's like a laundry list of yeah. Like, you know, all of these diagnoses or all of these kind of specific areas in the midst of all of that, how do I make sure that, how do you make sure that the people that you really want to serve really feel seen and safe there? Right. That's the job of the marketing. And I feel like most therapists actually are, will be excited if they thought, if they thought of it like that. Absolutely. Well, I, I think there's so many, there's so many great pieces in what you just said that I'm like, oh, which, which one do I jump on first, but um, I'll do my little aside first, which is I have a friend who talked about once looking for a therapist on psychology today and was complaining about how many of their uh, little bio things would say things like, I believe that humans are capable of change. And she was like, well, yeah, I think if you're a therapist, I hope you believe that, but I, I really need a little more from you here. But so um, I, I like what you said about, I mean, I'm so grateful you give voice to the capitalism piece and like that that shift of like the industrial revolution is really when things shift from that word of mouth relationship um aspect you know that the sort of more organic pace of building relationships where we switch over to like i love how you frame that the accelerated uh you said acceleration of the pace of the reputation or the acceleration of the pace of the relationship. I think that's a really, um, that's a great way of putting it. And I think that that is the felt sense of that, I think is what gives so many therapists pause when it comes to engaging in marketing. Um, and is because that the, the acceleration itself feels like an, uh, uh, an inauthentic, way of engaging right um and and i also like what you said about just that there is an inherent compromise to this and so you know the context we were talking about in a few episodes being you know within the context of the american healthcare system there's no way to do our role 100 percent ethically because we don't have universal health care you know to fund this work. So you either can, you know, you can take cash and and work with people who, um, you know, can afford to pay, or you know, you can deal with the nightmare of insurance companies who are there to, you know, make profit and to, you know, screw over everyone else. Or you can work in a, you know, community mental health setting, which has its own moral problems with it. There's no like, there's no uncompromised way of doing this work. Um, and so I appreciate like that also being, you know, a part of you know, the recognition of when we're doing our marketing stuff too, we are making compromises. We are participating in this um, sort of, you know, 
like spectacle um, that has been created um, over the past, you know, say 150 years or so. Um, and there's really no way around that completely. But that, um, you know, what you're talking about, you know, I, I don't think I'd ever heard that idea of the brand as a memory. I think that's a really fascinating, um, a fascinating concept, especially because uh, some of the work I do um, around trauma is based in like interpersonal neurobiology and the idea of mentalization. So the idea that we're constantly creating pictures of other people's minds, right? Um, and it's so fascinating to think about that when we're creating a brand that we're create we're giving people a picture of our own of what's inside us if i think of it that way how to do that ethically almost seems to fall into place a little bit more of like how do i give the most honest picture of myself um to my potential clients the most honest picture of me um as a therapist in a way that you know facilitates that potential relationship yes yeah and I think, you know, in terms of the acceleration of the reputation building, like certainly, uh, well, like my contention would be that there is no way to fully ethically exist within capitalism, right? Like, and that that is the, the worst news for everyone because we all just, you know, and, and we're all inadvertently and indirectly uh, forced to be that's the paradox of it right it's we're forced to be complicit in a system of harm and there is not an, a backdoor opt-out option there isn't a way out right so that's kind of that's the thing about acknowledging that marketing i i there is no fully there is no way to fully say that you're practicing marketing ethically i think it's kind of like the way i i, I would compare it is you can't some people will say, I create, you know, you come to my blank and we're going to create a safe space. I host a safe space. And similar to branding, it isn't my job, in my opinion, as the facilitator to say, I have a safe space. That is in the eye of the beholder, right? And so I think it's more about I aim to, I am always working to create a safe space. Almost the same with allyship, right? You don't say I'm an ally. I'm working towards allyship from now until forever, right? And it's the same thing with marketing. It's like I aim to practice marketing as ethically as possible. Right. Acknowledging that the possibility is like that, that there is no full 100% way to achieve that because of the restrictions of capitalism, just like you said, with the healthcare system. So we got that. But okay, the other side of the story, though, is yes, then you have these tools which allow you to do your best to paint a picture and give people an honest view, the most accurate and honest view, and give them all the information. Also that like so that they can see what it's like to work with you, right? And and who you best serve. And I think that that, you know, when you talk about the all of the rigmarole of insurance or cash clients or all of the things that the that you as the therapist, as well as me as a potential client, have to go through to even get into the relationship with you, there's a whole lot of crap that comes before that even starts. Your marketing materials, your website, your body of work, if you will, right? All of that can help make sure on both sides of the of the line that we're aligned as much as possible or that it's more likely that we are to be aligned before I even get into that first session with you, 
right? Which is going to re reduce the friction for you as the therapist. It's going to reduce the friction for me because how many people on both sides of the chair, if you will, like of the couch, I don't know, have stories of, oh, either a nightmare therapy engagement for me as the client or the therapist with the nightmare client. I don't know that side of the story as much, but I'm sure you got those stories, right? So it's like, how do we use these tools to reduce that friction, to create as many positive outcomes as possible. Some of these marketing materials are here to make that happen. And I do feel like when it is a situation of like going to psychology today or whatever, and just choosing from a hat, basically, not feeling, not being empowered as the client and you as the therapist kind of like, it's like, come, come one, come all, right? That sets us up for a far more negative experiences. So it's not about, you know, manipulation for me when it comes to therapy marketing as much as it's about how do you have as many positive outcomes with your work as possible. And, and, and I know from a therapist perspective, you know best, what are the expectations that people are bringing in to you? How can you manage expectations better before you ever have, you know, before you ever have a session? And also looking down the line, how can your marketing materials set up your clients to have a successful experience with you from start to finish, right? I think that's some of the job of marketing. It's less about how do I get as many clients in the door as possible as it is about how do I manage expectations? How do I set people up for the most successful experience with me? How do I, you know, all of that is, is a part of the marketing that marketers don't talk about as much because it's not as sexy. Like so many marketing people are about like, I'm going to get you to like $7 billion a minute. I'm going to get you booked out. Right. And we don't talk about, I love creating content as a way of making my clients better clients, right? Setting them up to come in the door already kind of in my worldview or understanding what the process is going to look like with me. So I'm not spending, I do calls and sessions myself as well. It's just a different context. So I'm not spending three to four weeks just getting them into the headspace that they need to be for the work to even begin. Do you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Yes. No, I think everything that you just spoke to is huge in terms of why, you know, I think it is important at the stage um, that we're at, um, with this field, um, at least if you're in a private practice or a group practice and you're not in a, an agency setting, you know, that that marketing is actually part of the clinical work because it's exactly as you said, is that you're setting up the right expectations and and you're communicating that to people who who those expectations are the right fit for them. Um, and I think there's so often, you know, or at least historically, historically, I'm talking about the past several years, but the pace of society is very weird right now. Um, We're living so through history. <laughs> we really are. Um, but so I think, you know, perhaps even in the recent past, there's a sense of like, well, I have to, I mean, and even to now that like, I have to cast this wide net and be everything to everyone. Um, because if I don't, what, what if I don't get what if I, you know, there's a fear of not getting clients. There's so much fear out there. Um, and, and I had that when I first started my private practice too. And, and I thought I was being a lot more, you know, sort of targeted in my marketing than I eventually learned that I was, you know, as I was, um, you know, developing my understanding of all this stuff. But, um, the reality is like the more clear I am about like what kind of therapist I am and am not, the, I get different people who come in and we do better work. Like we don't, you know, 
especially when you're looking at some of this disquieting research that therapists don't like, which, and I personally also don't like, but it's true. The research has experience does not um, correlate with outcomes. So essentially like you're, there is a point early, very early on in your career, kind of like couple, first couple years where the experience you accrue, um, it correlates to better outcomes. After that first couple years, it does not correlate to better outcomes. So there's a fantasy that we have that once we're in it for 10 years, just based on the experience, right, that we're going to be a better therapist. The research does, says that's not the case. Um, and so, you know, I think it's worth thinking about, um, you know, there are many, many ways to potentially intervene with that, you know, and I actually think marketing is an important way to do that. And in my own experience, you know, and I, I said this, um, you know, just briefly a couple episodes ago that when I changed my marketing, my outcomes got better. And it's not necessarily that I became a better therapist per se. It's that the people who I could do the best work with were showing up more of the time. And I was getting fewer clients in my door who I'm like, I really have no idea what to do with this person. I love this. This is it. This is everything. That is marketing's job. But it's like the unsung, you know, we're, it's all everybody wants that kind of like, let's load them up with as many people as possible. And I, I always say when it comes to when I haven't worked with a single client who isn't afraid of getting too specific in their marketing because they're going to lose people, right? But when you speak to, when you try to talk to everyone, nobody feels seen, right? And so then you are just going to get, literally, you're just going to run the gamut of, of people coming in with all sorts of expectations that are just, you know, you're going to see like a graph is going to go up and down and up and down wildly in terms of the right fit for you. When you speak to everyone, you end up speaking to no one. So that specificity and it is a it is a risk to do that. And and here's the other unpopular truth about marketing is it doesn't matter if you're someone like me who this is my job, marketing and branding, it, or it doesn't matter if you're working in a corporate setting and it's a big corporate marketing team that's got it all in house, or you're working with a big, massive, famous, you know, Madison Avenue agency. All marketing is experimentation. It really freaking is. And the places where you take the experimentation out, where like. You know, some companies will be like, if you hire us, we can guarantee you a blank ROI. The First of all, it's bullshit. But second of all, those results are based on volume typically. And like, if we know that if we shove this many people through a funnel, X amount will convert. And then also it's volume combined with certain, you know, psychological hacks and tricks where you are literally playing with people's minds and when it comes like, yeah, those people might convert. Those people might sign up for your email list. Those people might sign up for an, a discovery session. You might, and yet the outcomes, you want to talk about outcomes. Let's just talk about like the outcome of this being the right fit for the, for the service provider or this being a client that goes the distance. Those outcomes are dismal. They're abysmal. People hate to hear this because they want a sure thing. But, you know, marketing really is, it is about making memories, right? At the end of the day, we are humans talking to other humans and culture is changing. Society is always changing. What is working for you today may not work tomorrow. And so it's all about shifting and constantly shifting. And that is the bad news. I end up being the bearer of bad news oftentimes to my clients. And yet at the same time, in, in the long term, 
Um, sometimes I'm, you know, giving them the medicine that's hard to swallow. And yet I am helping to prepare them and also to answer to kind of some of the charlatans out there who are feeding, you know, will feed them the good news so that they can get their money. And then they get in there and then the bad news is it was bullshit and they knew like it was all bullshit. And so the, the clients that I have that have been most successful, they're playing the long game. They're investing in a body of work and they understand the marketing doesn't end. You know, as someone that runs an agency, one of the pitfalls that I have seen about people who come to hire a marketing agency or a branding agency or whatever it might be is that they give up their agency. They kind of give over and they say, okay, now this is off my plate. This company's going to take it. They're going to run with it. And it's just going to go on autopilot from now until forever. And the, and the people that I work with that are most successful with their businesses in general are the ones who understand that that work doesn't end. They, they, they're sitting on the edge of their seats, whether they're hiring a company or not, and they know they have to be ready to continue to shift and pivot. And embracing the fact that running a business means you're going to be marketing from now until forever. Now, as the flywheel and the momentum of your marketing activities turn, it will start picking up speed so you can ease off the gas a little bit, but that work doesn't end. Well, and I, I relate to the bad news bearer uh, role because I, I feel like I often also play that um, play that role with my clients. But I think um, I think there's something sometimes about getting the bad news that can be very freeing, right? Because if you believe that like there's some you know, like in your case, what you're talking about, like you can dial in your marketing, dial in your strategy, dial in your brand, fix your website, and then you're done. If there's a fantasy that that's possible and then you're not doing it, there's that feeling of like, well, what's wrong with me? Everybody else maybe reaches this, you know, pot of gold at the end of the rainbow and I am not. And then when you realize the reality is no one actually can do that, that's not a thing. There's some freedom in that, allowing that just process to unfold. Um, and I, on a personal note, I'm reading doing my website right now like I'm getting it I'm 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 uh, leveling up I'm having like a real web designer do it for the first time and and doing it I'm rewriting my copy and I'm doing all this and um and it does feel uncomfortable it is ex it is an experiment like changing what I you know like and I this sounds like I'm tooting my own horn, but I am a good copywriter. People like my copy. And so rewriting my copy is hard for me because like the, like, oh, I'm letting go of something good and like it's worked so far, but I already like, but I sense that there's a change I need to make, you know, to be more in alignment with the kind of practice that I'm doing now, as opposed to what I was doing five years ago. And I think there's something, you know, freeing about allowing that to be an experiment and allowing that to just be, you know, a part of like, this being a living process that doesn't just come to a halt and then I'm there. Right. And, you know, something that you bring up that I think is really important is, is people don't expect marketing, branding, even building a new website. They do not expect it to be so emotional, but especially, you know, I'm talking to therapists in this audience who are either building their own private practice or maybe they, they have, they run an agency or something like that. Um, it, especially when it's, when it's so tied to you, like if you have a personal brand, right? Like your practice is you, it's your name or you've built it and you've grown it over the years. And it's intimate, it, incredibly intimate work, you know, all of that. Yes. Yeah. And people don't come in. That is one thing that, and I actually, speaking of creating content that manages expectations, 
I created an episode of my marketing comedy show, which is called Awkward Marketing a few years ago, called like something like rebranding is rebranding your business is a shitstorm. And it's this whole, it's like this news segment and you've got these like newscasters being like, you know, tell us, Herb is on the ground at the, at the scene of the rebranding. Tell us how it's going, Herb. And Herb is stuck in like a hurricane and he's hanging from a pole and he's like, I've lost all sense of self. I don't know who I am anymore. I've, you know, like, and, and I created that video partially because my experience, like, eight times out of 10 was that most of my clients hit a point in the process where they got extremely emotional. Then they started being like, wait a minute, I think I should need to dump this in the garbage. Let's start from scratch. Or they, they, you know, start questioning all of their decisions or they don't expect simply that they're going to, that this is a, like, they have to go and talk to their therapist about it. Like literally they have, I've gotten that feedback a lot of times. And then they think there's something wrong with them. Then they're like, oh, I'm the weirdo that's having this emotional journey as I rebrand my business. And so I created that content partially one to let people know that they're not weirdos, but honestly, the value of that content isn't as much in bringing people in the door. The value of that content comes in, in week eight, when the client is having an emotional time and either they've seen it before or I sent it to them then, and then they're like, oh yeah, wait, RKA told me this was going to happen. So then instead of, for me as the service provider, instead of them like jumping ship or sending me an angry email because they somehow feel like they made the wrong choice or them feeling bad about themselves and questioning everything and like, you know, crying themselves that content is strengthening our relationship and it's essentially like overcoming an objection or overcoming a client challenge before it even happens. So when that moment does, the client is automatically reassured, oh, you know what, RKA told me this was gonna happen. All right, so I know, so I'm not weird, I'm not the weirdo. And the thing about the bad news that you said before, yes, being the bearer of, like receiving the bad news can be freeing, and it can also be extremely validating because like you said, if there is a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow that you haven't reached, you think that there's something wrong with you. But I think most people deep in their heart know that there isn't a pot of gold and yet they see other people out there kind of like talking about the gold. So they're like, am I insane? Am I losing my damn mind? So it's validating as well to receive the bad news because you're like, I see, I knew it. I knew it all along, right? And that's, so it's, I guess that's the freedom piece that you were saying. So it's just kind of the other side of that coin. Totally. Yeah. No, I love the idea. I mean, that's so relatable and transferable, that idea of prepping someone for an emotional experience that they're, um, you know, they're likely to have in the course of, you know, some process. I think that's so, that can be, I mean, a make or break thing. Um, you know, whether that's marketing in your case or therapy, whatever, a million different, you know, starting a workout routine, you know, knowing that like, it's normal to hit a plateau or, you know, parenting, knowing that it's normal for your kid to have tantrum, you know, like all of those things, like just to be set up with the, like the knowledge of like, this is likely to happen. So it doesn't mean that something's going wrong, that you're having this experience. And yes, absolutely that piece of just like that it is emotional, you know, even as I, I was like doing my little like Pinterest, you know, board last night for my website. Um, and I was like this feel it's interesting how vulnerable this feels because, you know, I'm the what I'm doing with my brand now, um, you know, I had started um, 
you know, my practice is called Into the Woods Counseling and I have this whole like fairy tale um, motif. And I really moved away from that um, because I think I was, you know, and it, it, it's been fine, you know, that what I've done with my um, with my website and, you know, how I've approached my marketing has been, has worked well for me. Um, but I think I was, you know, initially when I was starting to understand and think about things in terms of marketing more, I was afraid of it being, maybe like too whimsical or like too um, hard for people to relate to or too like um, metaphorical or something and all that. And now I think I've, I have a little more confidence um, in where I'm going with it and being able to translate, you know, that metaphor to the people that I'm trying to reach and kind of trusting that the people who resonate with it are the ones who I want to be forming relationships with. Um, but it's so interesting just noticing like that this is, this is actually a, um, I'm leaning into, um, something that is a higher degree of, of vulnerability than I have in the past. And that that's bringing up, you know, some of that stuff that everybody has about vulnerability about like, I'm showing a little bit more of myself in this way. And is that going to be okay? You know, I'm experimenting, like you were saying with, with allowing myself to be seen. And that's, that's emotional. Like that's, that's deep stuff. You know, it's not superficial. That actually brings me to, so I've, I've heard you talk about um, on your Instagram about a couple of ideas um, that I'd, I'd love for you to expound on. So when I first, um, started to think about marketing and like anything more than a like you build a website then you put stuff on it you know something beyond that like the absolute most basic level so i took a, pra a practice building course like i was totally marketing naive i had never heard the term ideal client i had not i had heard the word niche of course in many contexts but i hadn't heard about it in a marketing context i had not heard the term pain points i had not heard any of that stuff, you know? And so I think, um, what I think, you know, one of the things that I think is challenging, um, perhaps about therapists who are getting into, uh, you know, hearing more about marketing and, and, um, like seeking out information about it, right. Is there sort of a standard way of, um, uh, how those ideas are communicated, um, that, in some ways, part of it is that those those concepts can be used in a really manipulative, just like kind of icky way, um, you know, and then the other being, you know, just that those don't always some of those ideas don't really fit with what people are wanting to put out there. And I've heard you talk about that a little bit in terms of that idea of like ideal client or niche and all of that. So I'd love um, I just love to hear what you have to say about how to think about things differently than just like how those concepts tend to be presented. Well, yeah, I mean, when it comes to the whole niche, niche, that's actually a, <laughs> that's a line from my uh, rebranding is a shitstorm video where it's like, is it niche or niche? Nobody knows, Todd. <laughs> Nobody knows. Um, is, you know, the, the standard practical advice is like the best way to build a business is you have to choose this very specific audience that like there it's like women ages 25 through 35 that has X amount of income and they live in Dayton, Ohio. And they, um, and certainly, I mean, there is some value to that in some contexts, but it doesn't fit for everyone. And I will tell you, when I look at you and I look at your current website, I interpret you as being someone that's niching less in terms of like demographics and more in terms of like worldview, right? And so there, that 
that can be a way of approaching, you know, approaching narrowing down your messaging doesn't always have to be in the context of you're speaking to this exact person who fits these demographic characteristics, right? Like, you know, that's a very handy, it can be one tool in the tool belts, but I mean, that's, I, I think there's lots of different ways to approach narrowing down the audience. And I think sometimes it, it's less about person as it is about worldview or as it is about values. And there is going to be a time, I think, you know, especially with a therapy audience, there are certain therapists that treat specific areas and themes and issues, right? Like I just was speaking to a therapist client that she specifically works with people who are dealing with infertility. And that is, that's her niche, right? And that's, it's, it just works for her. And she, I think she works at a family center. So she's working with people that are already in a place where they're seeking services for this particular challenge in their life. So then, you know, so that is just yeah, a natural one. But then I also, you know, worked with a therapist a few years ago that works with people within the health at every size framework. And so their client base really runs the gamut of like age and gender and sexual orientation. So they're not like narrowing it down in that way. They are narrowing it down a lot more in terms of worldview. I mean, this particular person was like a radical activist. And I think like one of their taglines was every therapist should be an outlaw, which I loved. I was like, can you be my therapist? Be my therapist, right? And so they are building their audience. And yes, the health at every size certainly is part of their container, but they also work with people who that, you know, body and the trauma that they have around that isn't always the main driver of the relationship. So this particular person is really organizing their body of work and their messaging much more around values and worldview. And yes, very much this activist bent. So in this case, the therapist is more of the niche than anything, right? It's like, here are my values. And I'm, you know, a radical person who believes that Black Lives Matter. I believe in health at every size. I, you know, I, all of these things, that's who's bringing people in the door. Um, but, you know, one of the things that I, that I do try to get people to think about, like when they're creating, whether it's their website materials or it's any of the like extensive materials that will go onto a social media account or onto a Psychology Today profile or whatever it is, you know, I, I'm always asking people to think about like the, the five questions, like who, what, why, wow, and how. And when I talk about just the who, immediately people think that I'm talking about you, right? Like, who are you? Well, hi, I'm Jane and I serve blank. And the who that is most important really is being able to make sure that when people, whether it's a social media profile or it's a website or it is, let's say like an alter, you know, it's one of those databases that I'm going to look for a therapist, wherever it might be, the most important piece is that I feel seen. This goes back to the idea of like, when you speak to everyone, no one feels seen, you know? I think when you're writing your copy, when you're creating a website, the first question that you need to answer is how do I make sure that the person who is the right fit for me and is looking for me feels seen off the bat? 
Well, I, I think like what you're what you're saying to me, like, um, I think that it really raises that question of like, what makes people feel seen, you know, because I think a lot of the sort of traditional um, that, you know, like what I would consider the kind of standard marketing boilerplate, um, you know, is about hitting the pain points or about creating that like profile of the ideal client that is so to me. And I've, I've always had trouble with that. Like I've tried to do it, especially when I was starting out um, in my marketing stuff of like it just it didn't resonate for me and i always felt like maybe i'm doing it wrong and i think that it's 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 because my instinct is what you were saying is that i'm trying my ideal clients are people who share a certain kind of worldview um and it's not actually a worldview that's easy to articulate and so i'm leaning into that really heavily with my new material um because what i'm really wanting to do with my practice now is focus on um a, a really specific trauma processing um, work, you know, it's not, it's, it's a few specific models that I've integrated and, and the type of person that I'm trying to market to is somebody who resonates with that, um, approach to trauma therapy. And that feels, I think that the reason that that's hard, um, in terms of like saying that that's an okay marketing strategy is because it feels much more abstract than like, it's a 35 to 40 year old white divorced person, you know, but I think, I, I do think it's possible, you know, I'm thinking of my own, um, my own experiences with finding resonance, um, right. With people's even, you know, even before, you know, the advent of social media, you know, I'm thinking about like the, one of the, the psychologists who was my primary teacher, the reason I came across him is because I picked up his book. I picked it up and I was reading his book and it immediately I felt like a resonance and it was because he was willing to strongly speak, you know, the truth of his view um, in a way that just grabbed me. And he, I mean, he could not have given less of a shit about marketing to the point where I'm like, you guys needed you know, you needed to update your institute, like you needed to like get on board with the the importance of this stuff. But like he wasn't it was not anywhere in the realm of that. But I picked up that book and started reading and it spoke to me on a deep level. And when I think about, um, you know, the people who would show up at his trainings, it was an incredibly diverse array of therapists. Um, it was, you know, all races, genders, there's people coming in from other countries, you know, to go to those trainings. And it was people who found that same kind of resonance in, in the work he was presenting. And so even though it's harder and more complicated, perhaps to approach it that way, I think there's something, you know, especially if you don't, if you don't have a niche where you're just like, yeah, I do perinatal mental health or I do, you know, whatever. If you're not in that realm and you're and you don't and going down that kind of specific path doesn't feel right for you. You know, I think there is a lot of possibility and like really being able to reflect on and articulate like what are my you know, what's my values? What's my worldview around this work and how do I communicate that in a way that just really hits somebody in the gut and then we can come together and do some kind of good work. And even though your mentor in this case wasn't maybe using like traditional, like internet, isn't using traditional internet marketing. I mean, a book is marketing, right? And, and when people do encourage you to start a blog, I mean, I think I like to think about it more in terms of, I do think it is important to build a body of work. You know what I'm saying? A way that people can, because having a, a sampling of your body of work on your website, what it does is it gives context to your brand promise. So if you're saying I help 
you know, this is a very boilerplate, but if you're like, I help blank do blank, or my therapy focuses on helping you blank, I work with blank type of trauma tools, the the body of work, the blog posts, the articles, the essays, the the white papers, the book, the the videos, the podcast is what expands upon and helps me understand what that actually means though. You know, for me, I tell I help people build epic unforgettable brands. I help people, you know, build businesses that burn the rule book. That sounds great and sexy and cool. But what does she really mean, though? Because there's a million ways that that could take shape. And there's only so much that I can do in my copy to expound upon that. If you go to my podcast, for example, and you look at some of the most recent episodes, even if you literally don't even click and listen to any of them, just the titles are going to expand and give context to my brand promise. Episode 18, America is a brand. Does it deliver on its promise? Oh, that's on brand for what I'm just saying right now. Episode 17, Think and Grow Rich debunked. I have a whole two-part series on Napoleon Hill. Is Napoleon Hill the greatest self-help scammer of all time? Okay, so just in those two episodes, titles, literally, and you haven't even listened to anything, you're learning a lot about me. You're learning a lot about my worldview, about my, my view on America, my view on branding, my view on scamming, my view on popular business titles like Thinking Grow Rich, which is like literally every marketer's favorite and business leader's like favorite book to recommend. But it's completely been debunked. I mean, the guy, Napoleon Hill, made it up, pulled it out of his ass. He wasn't even rich. He didn't even think about it. Like, uh -huh. <laughs> But, you know, I'm using those two things as an example to say, if you are kind of new to my world, or if somebody does refer you to me, or if you find me through Google or whatever, and you go over there and you literally just look at the titles and you don't even dive into the body of work, you're just kind of skimming it. And I'm also telling you I'm funny, right? I'm telling you I'm funny. I'm telling you I kind of have an irreverence. I have a cynicism and a skepticism. I'm probably telling you a little bit about like my views on capitalism and branding in general. I have just given you so much context to my brand promise and flavor and texture and energy and world, you know, in just the titles that I could possibly do. I could tell you all of that in my copy. And you'd be like, really? I mean, I could be like, I am a, you know, anti-capitalist marketer who is skeptical and funny and also dives deep and I've got my finger on the pulse and blah, blah, blah. None of that has as much weight as me showing it to you and expounding upon it and expanding upon it in the context of my body of work. So when it comes to marketing and like, you need to start a blog, well, not necessarily, but I do think it is smart to build a body of work where people can feel that resonance with you. And yes, a book in the case of your mentor, that was marketing. I know that also it was his way of bringing his message to the world and obviously like, you know, expanding the amount of people that he can touch and impact. And it was marketing as well. Totally. No, that makes so much sense to me. And I, I really like that idea of a body of work. I mean, and I'm going to get meta too, because this is my podcast and this is the medium through which I have decided to develop that for myself. Um, and it's interesting to think about that, that operating on those multiple levels, um, because, um, 
you know, one of the things to me, I think that it's very important to me and that I think about a lot when I'm thinking about like my copy and how I um, how I communicate to potential clients um, is it's important to me that clients understand that I take this work very, very seriously. Um, and so like I don't it's it's important to me to not phone in sessions and clock in and clock out and go home. I'm not saying I've never done that. Every therapist has phoned in sessions. Um, so, you know, I want to be totally you know, forthright that that's a thing. But it's important to me that my intention is to to have a deep investment in the seriousness of what I'm doing here. Um, and I think, you know, just thinking about like, what I'm trying to do with this podcast. It's like, I don't, I didn't go into this creating this podcast thinking like, this is a good way to signal to um, clients that I'm really serious about the field. But I do think it does that. You know, I think if you look at the topics that I've taken on, um, it's pretty clear that this is, uh, you know, a field that I think very deeply about and reflect on a great deal of the time. Um, and so it's it's interesting to think about just that from that signaling perspective of like how we're doing that even when we're not even necessarily conscious of it or intending, you know, that that's the primary intention. You know, I think um, it's so challenging as a therapist because our work is so ephemeral, you know, and it's like so much of what we do is um, is it's like you spend these hours with people and it impacts them, but they take it out into the world. And, you know, there's some people who eventually, you know, you don't ever see them again and you don't know what the impact is, you know? And I think um, I do a lot of work with written narratives. And I think that's one of the things I like about it is that I have a, it's like a material um, record of something that we did that was, you know, really meaningful and important. But, but I think it's, you know, it's challenging for therapists probably to think about what what that actually means to create a meaningful body of work because we put so much meaning into our day-to-day -day sessions and then like there's no record of that and yet um you know there's some interesting research on again on on outcomes and what 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 are the associated qualities with um with therapists who are who for, are just better therapists therapists who have better outcomes therapists who have better outcomes ruminate a lot about their work outside of sessions. So the irony, there's a lot of irony about how we're presented with this idea of self-care means you leave work at work um, and you have good, you know, compartmentalize and you do all that. Um, when the research says actually for this field, if you do that, you will be a worse therapist. Um, and so, um, so it's Damn. an interest. I know. It's, so you yes. have to take your work home with you? Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> So I do want to ask you one last question before we wrap up. So, um, so when I have therapists on, you know, I have this idea of the, a therapist can't say that moment where, you know, where you are, you know, you say something and then you can tell immediately like, oh, that wasn't, mm -mm, that wasn't a thing that a therapist was supposed to say. And I know other fields, lots of other fields, probably every other field has its uh, stuff that you're allowed to say and stuff that you're not allowed to say. And so I would love to hear. What is not allowed to be spoken? What is a moment that you've had where you've said something um, and you know that you're kind of violating some of the norms or some of the um, unspoken rules about what you're allowed to say and not allowed to say in your field? It comes down to that marketing is an unethical industry, right? Like that embracing that. And I'm kind of shocked by how many of my colleagues, for example, are so on fire about politics and activism and systemic oppression and like critiquing the ways that we are marginalized and marginalize each other and then 
stop short of allowing themselves to see that within the marketing field. And then they're, and then they're like, and let me help you get rich. Let's build your brand so that you can be a bazillionaire. Let's like pain points, you know? And I'm like, y'all, like we've got to apply just the complete myopia that exists around uh, the history of this profession. Almost every single one of the hacks that is just passed from marketer to marketer to marketer, branding, copywriting, design, has its roots in some of the early days of the consumer culture being manufactured, being invented, being trained into us. Like we had to, as a culture, be taught to buy constantly, right? We had to be untrained from being craftspeople and making things and being frugal and into seeing our lives and our identities shaped around what we were buying next and spending our free time consuming. And so I, you're not supposed to say that. We're supposed to say like, what I do is I empower people to live the life of their dreams. And like, sure. And some of the good news about, you know, helping people build their businesses is it allows them to live less uncomfortably within capitalism in many cases, right? And yet, I think one thing I will say is that a lot of my clients, they come to me and one of the first things they tell me is, I hate marketing. My, you know, small business owners, they're like, I hate marketing. And when I finally, when we finally unravel that, what we determine, what I determine, what I'm able to see more clearly is it's not that they hate marketing, although sure, maybe, it's that, you know, before you run your own business, you're essentially a passive contributor, a passive uh, person within the capitalist system, right? Like you are consuming and you are being sold to, but when you actually have to be the seller, when you actually have to be the merchandiser, when you have to participate in capitalism in this other way as a business owner and you see what is required of you. And you also see that it's not, you know, there is no get rich quick that, you know, there is no easy escape. Like you're working for corporate or you're working for yourself and even working for yourself has it's like unhealthy, you know, all of that. What people are really telling me when they say I hate marketing is I hate this economic system that forces me to be an evangelist for my own like cult of personality. I, I hate capitalism. Right. Yes. Right. So I know you're all allowed to talk about that. We're supposed to all believe that what we're doing is we're empowering people. We're live, we're, you know, live your dream. I mean, sure. Yeah, a little bit. But there is, uh, but this, this, this industry is a fucked up history and a fucked up presence. So I'm not supposed to say that. Can I say fucked up? Oh, yeah. Please <laughs> do. Yeah. I, yeah. Well, and I like what you said about like, it's about, Yes, it's living less uncomfortably within capitalism. But unless your dream is to be either, you know, become part of the exploiting class and, you know, all of that, which I can understand why that would be someone's dream because the other options kind of suck too, you know. Um, but unless that's your dream and, you know, you happen to win that particular lottery to be able to do that, you know, life is going to stay pretty uncomfortable in a lot of ways because that is the economic system and cultural system that we live in. Um, and yeah, that's not an attractive proposition. But again, you know, as we were referencing earlier, I think for people to be able to, um, you know, come in and say, I hate marketing, and then be able to realize, like, it's not actually about that. It's about like this system that we're forced to be cogs in. That can also be 
you know, very validating um, and a bit of a release from, you know, having to, you know, think of like, oh, well, what what is it about me that is, you know, that I can't do this right or I, you know, that it should be different versus that's a normal response to have. So yeah, you know, going back to the whole marketing is unethical thing, speaking to the fact that so many of my colleagues are like politically very progressive or even radical and yet still peddling the mythology that we all can be rich. That's the other thing for me is that, and it's the painful work of working with businesses, knowing that the the odds are actually st- like not all of us can achieve extreme wealth within the system or even not all of us can even leave our current financial reality. That is the way the system is built. So I, I, I generally have, I bristle at selling extreme wealth as the dream or as the end goal, knowing that it's not possible. And it's not just impossible because some people won't do the work, which is what... People in the business coaching sphere like to say, oh, well, yeah, it's not possible for everyone because some people aren't going to hustle. But then it's like if every person in the entire freaking world woke up tomorrow and hustled till the day they died, it is still impossible. So the problem ain't about hustle, you know? One of the things that I've been thinking about a, a lot as I'm writing my new copy for my new website is how much healing am I selling? What What am I telling people about uh, the capacity to heal um and am i overselling that because i think i do think sometimes people undersell it and i think you know it's hard to get hit that just right um but i think there's a, a vast variance and some people kind of disclaiming to the ends of the earth you know until you're like well why am i even going to therapy with you if you can't you know but then some people um really you know in that I mean, in the in the sort of like transformational coaching industry, I think is rife with with over promising about um, what is actually possible for a human being to to do in terms of their own self actualization. That's another piece of like that ethical marketing sense of like, yeah, maybe I am losing some business sometimes if I don't if I don't sell a pipe dream, um, but I'm I'm willing to do that because it's in alignment with my own values or whatever. You are, you are losing money. And I think that that is ultimately when it comes to ethical marketing, the best like boilerplate advice I could give anyone is if you want to be an ethical marketer, you have to get comfortable with losing some profits, right? Because the most, this is the thing that like, you know, gets me all worked up is people out there being like, be an ethical marketer and also make a bazillion dollars. You can be ethical and be filthy rich. And it's like, "Mm, yes, you can be ethical and be profitable. Yes, although there's still those compromises in there. It's like, what compromises do you wanna make? And the truth is, if you're truly wanting to align your marketing and your business practices in general, and you know this as a therapist, right? Like, Like you just said, the whole cash versus insurance question, only, you know, you could align your business to only take one type of client that is in a certain socioeconomic bracket and that, you know, but, you know, if your goal is to build a values driven ethical business, you are going to leave money on the table. And everyone in the business world wants to be like, are you leaving money on the table? Stop it. Right. That's the whole capitalism thing. It's all about profit, profit, profit. You got to get comfortable with leaving some money on the table. That's the reality, you know, how much money are you going to leave? That's the question. 
and to navigate that sense of like which compromises, which way of compromising my values system, because I know I have to, to get by in this in this social structure feels the most aligned, which is a very weird and complicated question to have to ask yourself. But I think that's that's what we have to do. This was such a completely like delightful and generative conversation for me. I really, really, really appreciate um, everything that you shared and just being on and, and all that that we talked about. Thank you. This was this was wonderful. You can find Rachel at rachelkalbers.com or rkainc.com. And I also highly recommend checking out her podcast and following her on Instagram. She has a lot of really engaging and educational content. And join me next episode where I'll be diving further into some of the themes that my conversation with Rachel brought up and teasing apart some of what it means that here in 2022, marketing is a component of our clinical work. If you're enjoying the show, please rate, review, and subscribe to A Therapist Can't Say That on whatever your preferred platform is for listening to podcasts. And remember to share the show with your therapist friends who want to hear someone talking about all the things it feels like a therapist can't say. You can find me, Reva Stout, at intothewoodsportland.com. If this episode brought something up for you that you'd like to share with me or you want to tell me about your own A Therapist Can't Say That moment, I'd love to hear from you. So please feel free to shoot me an email or send me a voice note at reva at intothewoodsportland.com. Talk to you next time.